0: Welcome to River City 360, views and news from around Winnipeg. My name is Nolan Bignell. With me as always is my co-host, Robert Zirk.
1: On today's show, we'll be joined by Alexis Kinlock, the Project Manager for Public Art at the Winnipeg Arts Council, to learn more about the guided public art tours that are taking place this summer, and how you can take part.
0: Then, to all the hockey fans out there, hockey, the stories behind our passion, is at the Manitoba Museum for the rest of 2018 and early 2019. If you're a fan of Canada's game, we highly suggest a visit, and we're going to be speaking with curator Candace Hoag to learn more about the Manitoba wing of this incredible exhibit.
1: We'll also learn about the ninth Annual Austin Street Festival that's taking place in the North Point Douglas neighborhood the afternoon of this Friday August 3rd.
0: And last but not least for this week's RC360 road trip, Sonny Permolo and I visited Steinbeck, Manitoba to check out the Mennonite Heritage Village ahead of Pioneer Day celebration that's happening this weekend. Find out what you can expect this week
1: on the road trip. We've got all this, some great tunes and much, much more on today's episode of River City 360.
0: Good afternoon, good evening and good morning to you Robert. How are you this fine uh, this fine August day? Welcome to August.
1: Yeah. Um I'm good. I've uh took a week off and uh just kind of you know just enjoyed some a uh, little bit of a staycation. We had the Fringe Festival.
0: Rested up. Yeah. You look rested, willing and able to just rock this show today. And so I will. Excellent yeah. to hear. What How else? about yourself? I'm doing well as well. I've actually got a vacation coming up in a couple of weeks, so I'm going to do similar to you. I might go back to Russell, Manitoba, see the old parental units, and uh, just kind of hang out and enjoy the, the dwindling days of summer. There's not many left to go, which is kind of a sad thing to think about. I know.
1: it. Like, And the weather recently feels almost very autumn ominous. it's ominous it's gotten a little chillier at night yeah. and even in the day it's been kind of overcast i a like little that
0: colder. I i always enjoy a nice cool breeze I, i'm like a 15 degree kind of a guy 15 to 20 degrees i don't like this 38 it's insanity i can't deal with it
1: well, i don't mind the plus 30 temperatures as Ooh. long as i've got an air conditioner <laughs> nearby
0: i like a nice summer breeze you know when i when i'm out in the uh out in the world let's take them to a song we always kick things off with a with a little bit of music on rc360 and uh since we're talking summer breezes how about bread with their song summer breeze right here on rc360 see the
2: curtains hanging in the window in the evening on a friday night little light is shining through the window lets me know everything's all right summer breeze makes me feel fine blowing through the jasmine in my mind Laying on the sidewalk, a little music from the house next door. So I walk on up to the doorstep through the screen and across the floor. Summer breeze. Summer, the jasmine's in bloom July is dressed up and playing her tune And I come home from the heart hold me in the evening when the day
1: City 360 Robert Zirk here with you today and I am now joined by Alexis Kinlock. she is the project manager for public art at the Winnipeg Arts Council Alexis thank you so much for joining me today
3: thank you so much for having me
1: the Winnipeg Arts Council does so many things in terms of providing grants and supporting the arts community in general. I'm wondering if you can speak to the mandate of the Winnipeg Arts Council and how public art factors into its mission and what it does.
3: Sure. So we are a nonprofit organization, and we uh, we receive funding from the City of Winnipeg and are charged by the City of Winnipeg to distribute that funding to arts organizations and artists. And um, so that's part of what we do. But we also receive funding from them to facilitate the creation of public artwork in Winnipeg. And so we do everything from Selecting sites for public artwork to happen, facilitating the process of creating a call to artists, uh, facilitating selection committees, and then helping the artists along the way as they create their work and it is launched. So, really, the Winnipeg Arts Council's focus is about quality of life in Winnipeg and how the arts can interact with people's lives in order to make that quality of life better.
1: And I'm sure many people just walking around or passing by have seen a public art piece that resonates with them. But one of the best ways even to become a little more aware of some of the amazing public art that's available in our city are three tours that are happening uh, that are hosted by the Winnipeg Arts Council. And we'll talk about each of those, starting with the noon hour ones that are happening, uh, Art at Lunch. Tell us a little bit about those sessions and what people can expect from some of the future ones that are coming up.
3: Art at Lunch is really a way to encourage people to get out of their chairs over the lunch hour. So we keep them to about 45 minutes in order to make sure people can get there and get back to work within a lunch hour and uh, they take place throughout the summer on Tuesdays and they are focused in a couple of different places so we've got a set that take place just at the Millennium Library itself because within the building and outside in the park behind, there are many public artworks. The Millennium Library is uh, visited by so many people from around the city that um, it's a great place to have public art. A lot of people get to interact with it and there's so much to talk about within that space so we've got a really exciting sort of wall mural type piece by local artist Cliff Eland in the lobby that I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with that sort of looks at the 21st century move of libraries from this physical to digital and this interaction between the two. There is uh, more artwork inside in the Richardson Terrace and then out back that people would probably recognize one of our most iconic public artworks which is Empty Full. The big steaming beaker is sort of a fountain that lights up and uh, the concept behind that public artwork is about how the prairies are full of emptiness actually. (laughs) There's many layers but that's sort of the main concept. And then there's some older public artworks there as well. And so focusing uh, on just the Millennium Library gives people a way to do a short tour, an accessible tour, while also getting a lot of understanding and information in. And the same goes with the rest of our lunch tours. They're also short, but they're sort of in different parts of the downtown-ish region. So we've got the West Exchange, East Exchange, and uh, towards the end of the summer, artworks just focused in the Air Canada Park area.
1: Tell us a little bit about those artworks at Air Canada Park. It's part of the Indigenous Artist Project. Can you elaborate a little more on that?
3: Absolutely. So this is a project that's been many years in the making. We did a long consultation period, and when the project started to finally culminate in the creation of public artworks. It really has taken on many faces with many concepts coming to the fore through the artworks. So we've got uh, work being created by Rebecca Belmore and Osvaldo Yero and that work really looks at community and also sort of turning the ivory tower on its head, which, as Rebecca Belmore states about this piece, Indigenous people have to do every day. We've got one by Kenneth Lavallee, who's a local artist. You might recognize his mural work from the back of Deer and Almond. His work is called The Square Dancers, and it looks at this tradition of fiddling and dancing from his family's home in St. Laurent, and uh, so you sort of interact with that work as a dancer as well. Julie Nagum is another uh, local artist and she's doing a work about hydropower and how it has f- affected positively and negatively First Nations throughout Manitoba and uh, Roland Soulier is an artist who is creating what I believe is the only sign in the city that will acknowledge this is Treaty One territory and it's a it's a two-sided coin that has the same thing on both sides and sort of plays with uh, ideas of the identity of people who participated in the signing of Treaty One.
1: For people that don't work downtown and maybe aren't able to make it over the lunch hour There's also art walks that are scheduled in different parts of the day. Can you tell us about some of the themes that are covered? They seem to take people a little bit more beyond one area. Tell us about some of the themes that people might come across if they go on an art walk.
3: On the art walks, we can take a little more time, and so they cover a little more distance. Some of the themes include what is public art. So the uh, tour guide will really go through the concepts of what constitutes public art, what separates it from something we might be familiar with, like a monument or these sort of more historical ways of honouring things and people. And so you'll kind of see some things that... Are definitely public art, some things that are definitely monuments and things that sort of fall in between and you can have a really interesting conversation about um, the meaning of those things and then there is Sunset in the City which looks at more artworks that light up and uh, some are interactive and you can kind of see them better as the sun sets. And so uh, and and then otherwise, yeah, we try to focus them on regions of the city. So downtown in the Exchange District, St. Boniface, you know, where we have concentrations of artworks that people can get to on foot.
1: For people who prefer to check out their public art on wheels, there's also (laughs) the art ride bike tours that are happening in conjunction with Bike Winnipeg on uh, various Saturdays up through the end of September. Can you tell us a little bit about what people might find if they uh, go on a bike tour on an art ride?
3: I love the bike tours because we are joined by our partners at Bike Winnipeg. And they generously uh, sort of shepherd us around the city very safely. So anyone who's a little bit nervous or unsure about biking around for that length of time and down uh, city streets, it's not some bike race. It's, it's very safe for everyone. In the South Winnipeg tour on August 11th, you'll see the artwork that's down around St. Vitale uh, area. So there are things that are sort of tucked away that people who are driving in cars, cars every day might not necessarily see. We've got an interesting work called Landmark that's along the Bishop Grand and Greenway. So it is near a very well-trafficked street, but unless you're on the Greenway walking or biking, then you wouldn't uh, come across this oversized shed moose antler, which is so exciting and strange and has a whole really uh, fascinating concept behind it that people can learn about on these tours. So.
1: So many hidden gems all throughout the city, and uh, it's really cool that these tours are shining a spotlight on, on some of these various things that maybe people didn't even know was was here in Winnipeg.
3: That's what we really hope for. <laughs>
1: So these art tours take place at various various days and times pretty much up until the end of September but the Winnipeg Arts Council has always got something going on and what are some uh, upcoming events that are on the horizon for the fall that you could maybe uh, preview for our listeners?
3: Well we'll certainly be bringing back Mass Appeal which is a very popular event and uh, I won't say too much about that until it's revealed but keep an eye out for that and we always have a uh, public art openings happening. As we complete projects, we we like to celebrate each project in a way that honors the specific character of the work and the meaning behind the work. So upcoming, uh, we have on September 6th The launch for the artwork at Air Canada Park for the project called This Place on Treaty One Territory. We will have music, performances, traditional and contemporary. We're going to have all of the artists here uh, speaking about their work and there will be free food and absolutely everyone is welcome to come out to this. I think it's going to be a really exciting event.
1: Fantastic. So if any of our listeners are interested in going on any of the walking tours or on the uh, the art ride bike tours, how can they take part? Do they need to register? How does that work? It's
3: free for everyone, but we do like people to register uh, in order to have a sense of how many people will be present and in order to be able to get in touch with people. So if you just go to our website, winnipegarts.ca, it's on the front page. You can just click on it and it only takes a moment to register and then just show up.
1: And that'll have the schedule for all of the upcoming uh, tours as well?
3: Absolutely. You might find a tour you weren't expecting to
1: go on. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Alexis, for uh, joining me today and telling us all about these wonderful art tours that are happening throughout the summer.
3: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thanks, Robert. Coming up next, it's not exactly a road trip. That's a little later on in the show, but we did walk over to the Manitoba Museum last week to check out their new exhibit, Hockey, the Stories Behind Our Passion. Uh, we took a little tour from uh, the cura- or their curator, Candace Hogue. She took Sonny and I through the traveling exhibit that's uh, going to be actually in Winnipeg until January of 2019. So you do have time to go see it. Honestly, I highly recommend it. Even if you're not a huge hockey fan, I am a huge hockey fan, but even if you're not, there's some really cool artifacts and really interesting things that you can see. Um, Candace Hogue, the uh, as we mentioned, the curator took us through and she was actually one of the curators of the Manitoba wing of the uh, exhibit. We're going to learn all about that part of the exhibit, all about the whole the whole kit and caboodle, basically, after our next song. And there's really only one song we can play. Uh, we, we had to go to Stompin' Tom Connors with the hockey song right here on River City 360.
4: Hello out there, we're on the air. It's hockey night tonight. Tension grows, the whistle blows, and the puck goes down the ice.
0: Thank you for listening to River City 360. My name is Nolan Bicknell and I'm on location in the Manitoba Museum talking to Candace Hoag. She is the guest curator for the Hockey Stories of Our Passion and Manitoba Heart to Hockey here uh, at the museum. Thank you for joining us today. You're welcome. So uh, maybe just describe for people what they can expect to see if they came down to the Manitoba Museum from now until uh, this coming January.
6: Well, what, um, what visitors uh, are going to see when they come to the museum is 5,000 square feet of a national exhibit from the Canadian Museum of History called Hockey, the Stories Behind Our Passion. And this exhibit represents all of Canadian hockey history from coast to coast with some outstanding pieces that... Uh, certainly our local visitors have probably never seen before, but are iconic and will really um, resonate with their memories. Uh, Paul Henderson's 1972 Summit Series jersey, uh, the Jacques Plant uh, pretzel mask, Sidney Crosby's jersey, Haley Wickenheiser's jerseys, um, the exhibit's full of memorabilia from the 30s right up to modern day. Uh, my job... Uh, on this project was to uh, augment the national project with a local component called Manitoba Heart of Hockey. And what that does is sort of pull together a snapshot of uh, Manitoba's accomplishments within um, our hockey history alongside the national project.
0: And that's where we're standing right now. We're in the Manitoba Heart of Hockey portion of the, of the, uh, of the exhibit. What are some of the coolest things that you're most proud of showing off here in this particular part of the exhibit?
6: Ooh, that's always a hard question and I've been asked that a few times. Uh, I would have to say that um, what's exciting for me are some of the pieces that I don't think that people have had a chance to see on display before. We have a gold medal from the 1932 Winnipegs that belong to what we believe is the first First Nations athlete to win a gold medal named Kenneth Strathmore. Um, what's fun about that is that People can look at his 1932 gold medal and compare that to um, Jonathan Taves' two. Olympic gold medals uh, and see sort of the difference. Along the way they can also look at Jonathan's three Stanley Cup rings and also see Ab McDonald's Stanley Cup ring from 1959 with the Montreal Canadiens. So there's a wide range um, from hockey sticks from the 1890s right up to um, Patrick Lone's, uh recently used hockey equipment this year. Uh, we have rural communities represented, Memorial Cup champions, um, we have um, Terry Sawchuk's Detroit Red Wings jacket. That's a piece that I think is uh, on display for the first time.
0: You can hear kind of hear the interactive nature of the exhibit in the background right now. You can hear the uh, the cheers and all that stuff going on. What do you think uh, the kids and especially are going to enjoy about the exhibit when they're walking through and they can kind of put on the hockey equipment and they can touch all this stuff? Like, what's what's some of the interesting parts about the interactivity of the exhibit?
6: Well, that's just it. Kids, you know, they like to uh, they like to play, and there's a lot of uh, wide-open spaces and some interactive games. Uh, ho- trying on the hockey equipment, I think, is really fun um, to see the difference between the old and the new. And I also think, you know, to see some of the the newer Jets things, if they're Jets fans or hockey fans, and then look at some of the older things, I think it's a great interactive between kids and the adults in their lives because I think adults are going to look and they're really going to, you know, go down memory lane and remember um, some of these equipments and these images and these players themselves.
0: Talk a little bit about how Manitoba um, holds up when it comes to sort of the national imprint that we've had on hockey throughout the years because I mean the the Manitoba section of this of the exhibit is huge and there's a whole swath of things to see but you know when you're walking through the national exhibit you see some some Manitoba hints here and there but where does Manitoba stand when it comes to sort of our national uh, sort of fingerprint on the game?
6: Mm -hmm. I think um, you know for me when I walk through the national project I just feel that our own Manitoba history that we just were neck and neck. So when I first took a look at it and I saw Jacques Plant's goalie mask, then I relate instantly to um, Andy Bathgate, who we have his jersey and skates on display and he is the player that hit Jacques Plant in the face with a a slap shot hard enough that Jacques Plant from then on began to wear a mask. Um, When I see Sidney Crosby's jersey, I can't help but think of our own Jonathan Taves jersey who was also a teammate and part of those uh, Olympic gold medals. Um, Hayley Wickenheiser. We've got Jennifer Botterill's Team Canada jersey on display along with her Patty Kasmer, um trophy. She was uh, one of the most successful women's college hockey players uh, to date and she won it twice which nobody else has done. So um, I, I see comparisons where we're you know head to head with our national history, which I'm, you know, I'm very proud of. And there's lots for people to come and see that's uh, unique and and one of a kind, but uh, very proud of our Manitoba history.
0: What's one thing that you hope parents and grandparents and and children and grandchildren walk away with once they exit those doors after going through and experiencing this whole thing?
6: I think just sort of what I've uh, spoken to about that idea that um, we have a very long history. Of hockey in Manitoba that we've been there from the very beginning just like um, the national exhibit talks about and that uh, we've had success at every level and with every um, obstacle.
0: Well come on down to the Manitoba Museum Uh, visit ManitobaMuseum.ca for more information this is going to be open until January so you got lots of time to come check it out. Uh, Candice thank you so much for talking to us today.
6: You're welcome thanks for having me. (laughs)
0: They score!
1: Thanks, Nolan. Up next, the 9th annual Austin Street Festival is happening in North Point Douglas this Friday, August 3rd. And we're going to tell you all about the great stuff that you can experience at the festival and all the important details if you want to take a visit for yourself. So stay tuned for that. Before we get to that, though, here is Patty Page with I'm Walkin' right here on River City 360.
7: I'm walking, yes, indeed, I'm talking about you and me. I'm hoping that you'll come back to me. Uh huh, I'm a as I can be. I'm waiting for your company. I'm hoping that you'll come.
1: River City 360. Robert Zirk here with you today and I am now joined by Brie. She is the coordinator of the Austin Street Festival which is taking place tomorrow from noon to 5 p.m. Bree, thank you so much for joining me today.
8: Hi, thank you for having me.
1: So the Austin Street Festival is held each year through the North Point Douglas Women's Center and this year it's celebrating its ninth anniversary. Can you tell us a little bit about how the festival got started and why an Austin Street Festival? Why is it so important for the community?
8: So it was an initiative of the Crime Reduction Planning Committee because there's such a negative stigma in the area of North Point Douglas. So it's really important for the community because it brings light to all the good things that are happening in the community, shows kind of the connectedness of the people in the community, and it's really a great day for everybody to get out of the house, spend some time with their family, and everything's free. There's some really good activities, and local music and local organizations show up, so it's a good way to get the mission of other grassroots organizations out to the community as well
1: absolutely and it all ties to um, you know as you sort of mentioned bringing the community together and this is what a great way to do that is to have a street festival where you get a chance to meet your neighbors in a different surrounding
8: yeah it's really great for people inside and outside of the community to come and get to know each other
1: One of the standout things about the Austin Street Festival is the incredible musical lineup that you have which is curated by the Sakihiwe Festival. Can you tell us a little bit about that partnership and who are some of the artists that people can see performing tomorrow?
8: We have a partnership with Alan Greyeyes who used to work for Music Manitoba and now he's off doing kind of more individual things. So he Kind of did all the organizing for the artists, which is great. So, yeah, we have Shanley Spence, Ela Barker, and a local artist called Helen and Back.
1: And uh, Studio 393 as well.
8: Yeah. yeah, so they're coming to MC for the event.
1: What are some of the other activities that people can enjoy at the festival?
8: There's street hockey, there's face painting, there's a dunk tank, which is super fun and popular with everyone. There's also hot dogs, lunch, and then a lot of the other local organizations put on their own events at the festival. So there's a variety of family fun activities to do.
1: Who are some of the organizations that will be involved and in there at the festival this year?
8: Organizations like Inspire Community Outreach, the Boys and Girls Club, Graffiti Art Programming, lots of local nonprofits, as well as the library.
1: So the festival is taking place tomorrow. Uh, That's Friday, August 3rd from noon to 5 p.m. And it's just around the North Point Douglas Women's Center. Whereabouts Um, is it on Austin Street? Yeah, so
8: it's just we have a full closure of Austin Street.
1: Okay, so you can't miss it basically.
8: Yeah, it's between Euclid and Selkirk on Austin. So yeah, you can't really miss it. It's going to be good.
1: Excellent. Anything else you'd like to mention about the Austin Street Festival before we sign off?
8: I just had a really exceptional time planning this festival. I worked with a lot of great people. Um, It's a great community to be involved with. And yeah, I think that everybody should come down for the day. It will be a great event. And it'll be a good way to get more involved in a community and get to know each other.
1: Wonderful. So if any of our listeners would like to take part, again, the Austin Street Festival is happening Tomorrow, August 3rd, from noon to 5 p.m. And as Bree mentioned, just head down to uh, to Austin mm-hmm. Street. You can't miss it. Uh, musical performances, lots of activities, uh, and a great way to meet people and get to know the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. If people want uh, more information about the festival, where can they go online or who can they contact to get more info?
8: They can call the North Point Douglas Women's Centre if they want and ask for me. I have that information, as well as we have a Facebook page for the Austin Street Festival. If that's more accessible, you can check that out.
1: Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Brie, for speaking with me today about the Austin Street Festival this Friday.
8: Yeah, thank you for having me.
0: Thanks, Robert. Coming up next, we've got what you've all been waiting for—the RC three hundred and sixty road trip. Sonny Pramolo and I went out to Steinbeck actually earlier this week. We got a wonderful tour of the Mennonite Heritage Village. Uh, we got to see the windmill. They were they were uh, milling some grain there. The agri- all the uh, old agricultural tools and, and tractors and things like that. There's the recreation of the street with the Old general stores, blacksmith, and some of the homes of of Canada's earliest settlers. It was really cool. And we're going to take you on a trip along with us. But before we get to the road trip, here's Fats Domino with Be My Guest right here on River City 360.
9: Come on, baby, and be my guest. Come join the party and meet the rest. Everything's going to be all right. So be my guest tonight. This is a Here's a special party just for you My, my, oh my, gee, you so fine Don't let me down, I'm the king but you can wear my crown I'm gonna sing, my band gonna play I'm gonna make you queen for day Everything gonna be alright, so be my guest tonight
1: Welcome to the River City 360 Road Trip. Today we're heading out to Steinbach, Manitoba, where we visited the Mennonite Heritage Village. Let's go!
10: Hello and welcome back to River City 360. On today's road trip, we're here in Steinbeck visiting the Mennonite Heritage Village. We're speaking with Barry Dick, Executive Director, and Patricia West, who is the Development Coordinator here at the village. Uh, welcome to the show.
11: Thank you. It's good to have you here.
5: Thank you.
10: The Mennonite culture, is very agricultural-based, am I correct?
11: Yes. Uh, Mennonites have for, uh centuries, I guess, been been farmers, been involved in agriculture, not exclusively. But that makes our museum uh, very much an agriculturally oriented museum. We have a lot of farm equipment. We have some wonderful exhibits of old tractors, old trucks and cars. Uh, We keep uh, live animals on the yard every summer, which uh, kids just love. Uh, So there's a lot of agricultural fun that goes on here.
10: When you first get into the museum itself, you're greeted by a large gift shop where you can purchase unique items that I've only seen here myself. As well as you enter in, uh, there's a map that kind of describes the migration period of Mennonites here in Canada and the world for that matter. Also in this building, I noticed that you have two different galleries. Can you talk about those?
11: Sure. Our main gallery uh, is relatively permanent, although we do change out some artifacts from time to time to uh, preserve them and put them back in, in climate-controlled storage. Uh, and that gallery uh, goes all the way back to the time of the Reformation, to Martin Luther, and talks about how the Mennonite faith was established, how it evolved, and then how through uh, persecution and Uh, a desire by the Mennonite people to uh, maintain freedoms in their life experience, uh, moved around first from uh, Europe to Poland, which was Prussia at the time, and then later from Poland to Russia, and then Russia to Canada, and there were numerous other migrations as well, particularly with other Mennonite groups. Uh, Just a lot of movement, because what happened in the 16th century uh, was not a very friendly environment to a variety of faith groups, uh, the Mennonites being just one of them. Uh, The other gallery is our Gerhard Enz Gallery, and it's what we call a temporary gallery, where we create uh, at least one new exhibit annually. Sometimes we have more than one in there in a year, but this year we've chosen the theme of Mennonite clocks, So the gallery currently has about, I think, a little over 30 old clocks in it. If I'm not mistaken, they probably all come from Russia or Poland. And there's a lot of stories. Clocks were very significant in Mennonite households, uh, Mennonite culture. Um, My personal sense is that, that a clock sort of expressed the family brand, if you will, and and they brought them with them. You can imagine a wall hanging clock with its pendulum and its weights and chains and strings and all that. And the de- delicacy of a clock would make it uh, slightly difficult to, to pack and transport, but but they, they brought them with them uh, time and time again from Russia and from Poland really interesting stories about how important it was to bring clocks with them
10: as soon as we leave this building here we're greeted by a numerous amount of different buildings here that span multiple eras how large is the village altogether the village
11: is on a 40 acre piece of land although not all of that is actively used in exhibit and so on we do have some land for parking and we do have some land to grow some crops so that we can feed our animals and so that we can do threshing demonstrations and that kind of thing. It's a fairly large piece of property. It's a great place for young families to come and run around uh, and get some of the energy out of their bones.
0: Can you can you describe to us just a few of the different buildings that people will see as they walk down that main strip there and kind of get transported back 100 years or something?
11: Sure. Uh, the Village Street uh, is, of course, there to commemorate the 1874 migration insofar as that's what they, they had in Russia at the time, and that's how they settled here originally in Canada, in these villages. There are many villages in southern Manitoba that have disappeared. There are still a few south of Winkler and not too many in this area. The buildings on the north side of the street are all original buildings. They have all been moved here from elsewhere. This, this site is only about 55 years old, but they are all buildings that are, I believe, all built before 1900 and they are largely residential. There's three houses, there's two barns. Uh, it was common to have barns attached to the houses in that, in that era. There's also a, a worship house or church and a, and a private school. The other side of the street is more commercial. Uh, there is a general store there, there's a blacksmith shop, there's a printery, and then of course we have our uh, livery barn restaurant uh, there as well. So, uh, and those buildings, by and large, with one exception, those buildings are replicas. They are not original buildings, so they've been built to, to kind of uh, copy what might have been in, in the 1870s uh, and, and that era.
0: Why is it important to maintain a connection to this, to that era, and to the past for this generation to sort of see how people lived back then and, and, and what they went through to survive?
11: Well, I think it's important that we uh, don't get too caught up in our freedoms, our prosperity, uh, and all of the good things that we have. When we when we read the stories of what happened to some of these people, uh, what happened to them uh, in Poland, in Russia, and even before that, uh, it's very difficult to imagine what life was like. And And how these people then made decisions to come here and why it is that we live here in this kind of freedom and peace uh, has a lot to do with some really tough decisions that have been made over the centuries.
0: What is it like when people come through here for the first time, whether they are elderly or youthful? How do they respond when they see all the old tractors and everything like that?
11: Well, kids are kids and, and don't necessarily have a lot of appreciation for history, they love running around, they love playing in the sandbox, they love swinging on the swings, climbing on the straw bales, feeding the animals and the chickens. Uh, that, that's a blast for kids. We, we just hope that, that when they are older and when they have children of their own, they will remember this place and come back again with their children and, and maybe then they'll start to appreciate the stories that are told. The elderly people, uh, a lot of them have memories, so they, they kind of cherish a place like this. Other, a lot of people come as tourists. They see our billboards on the highway and, they, oh, museum. Well, let's go and have a look at this museum. And, well, it's interesting because it's a pioneer museum. Yeah, there's varying response from different age groups. What's your
0: personal favorite part about the whole, uh, the whole exhibit, the whole grounds, everything? What's your personal favorite thing?
11: Uh, probably has to be the barnyard. Uh, I grew up on a farm feeding animals in the morning when I got up uh, and when I came home from school, uh, I was allowed to have a snack before I'd go out and feed the animals, but we'd feed the animals before supper. Uh, and so every day in the summertime when the animals are here, after lunch, I usually enjoy lunch in the livery bar and restaurant, I'll walk around by the animals and and uh, check them out and it's kind of my animal therapy and, and if I'm All by myself, I might even get into one of the cages and play hide-and-seek with a baby goat.
10: According to my knowledge, there's a Pioneer uh, Festival happening right away. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about that and what the Mennonite Heritage Village will be doing for that?
12: Uh, For Pioneer Days, which is this upcoming weekend, the August long weekend, we have, it starts off with a huge parade through Main Street of Steinbeck, and it goes, I think it starts about 10 a.m. on Friday, and ends around 11-ish, and then... Everything continues here. We do demonstrations for the weekend, pioneer demonstrations. We mill flour if the wind is cooperating with us. Uh, we get the threshing machines out. We do some, um, what is that, stoop?
11: Stooking sheaves.
12: We do some of that and uh, they make butter. And there's also uh, quilting ladies are always going in the quilting room there, so that'll be going on. Um, and then we've got lots of entertainment for the kids face painting. Uh, Mr. Ken will be out, and there's a robot on Monday coming as well, so we'll be busy.
10: That's awesome, and I hear that your kids even like to come and volunteer.
12: They do. Uh, Two of my daughters, I believe, are coming on well through the whole weekend, uh, selling tickets for the trip raffle, as well as helping with barrel train admissions and helping me with uh, photography and things like that.
10: The Pioneer Days celebration will be happening this weekend from Friday to Monday. So make sure you come and check it out and uh, grab yourself a waffle and, and <laughs> traditional uh, Mennonite food. Also, if you visit the general store, uh, you can actually visit a lot of Steinbach's local artisans and purchase some of their products there as well. So help support the local community here in Steinbach. Before we go today, uh, is there anything else that either of you would like to add about the village?
11: If you want to know more about Pioneer Days, there is a fairly detailed program on our website at www.mhv.ca, MHV MHV as in Mennonite Heritage Village. On the front page, if you scroll down one or two rolls, you'll see it.
10: Thank you again, Barry and Patricia, for joining us today on our road trip and uh, hope to see you at Pioneer Days. Thanks for coming on
1: the RC360 Road Trip. See you next week, same time, different place.
0: Thanks, Sonny, and thanks again to everyone at the uh, Mennonite Heritage Village for being such wonderful hosts, and we really appreciate you uh, allowing us to take a road trip and, and come see, see everything that was out there. We've got some a little bit more time for a little bit more music before we say goodbye today, so here's Ed Bickert with Street of Dreams right here on RC360. <laughs>
1: zed Bickert with Street of Dreams. You're listening to River City 360 here on 93.7 CJNU. Robert and Nolan here with you today. We've got time for one more song before we say goodbye. Here's John McDermott with As Time Goes By right here on River City 360.
13: Remember this a kiss is just a kiss, a sigh is still a
5: sigh.
13: The fundamental things apply as time goes by, and when two lovers woo. They still say I love you On that you can rely No matter what the future brings As time goes by Light and love songs Never out of date The world will always welcome lovers As time I'll fight for love and glory, a case of do or die.
0: That's a wrap on this week's episode of RC 360. Thank you so much for tuning in today, and a very special thank you to all of our guests for speaking to us as well.
1: If you'd like to hear more views and news from around Winnipeg, listen to any of our past episodes, or subscribe to our podcast, you can do that online at our website. The address is rivercity360.org, again that's rivercity360.org.
0: River City 360 Views and News from Around Winnipeg is a project of the Winnipeg Foundation in partnership with CJNU 93.7 FM.
1: And we always love to hear your feedback about the show. If there is a song that you'd like to hear during our program, if you'd like to suggest a topic for a future show, or if there is a museum or an archive somewhere in Manitoba that you think we should visit for the River City 360 road trip, Give us a call, let us know, leave us a message on our listener line. It is open 24-7, so no matter when you're listening, just give us a call, leave us a message, let us know. Our number is 204-944-9474, extension 360. Again, the number to call is 204-944-9474, extension 360.
0: If you want to hit us up on Twitter or Facebook, you can do that as well by searching at RiverCity360 on Twitter and RiverCity360 on Facebook as well. I'm Nolan Bicknell signing off for River City 360.
1: And I'm Robert Zirk. Thank you again so much for listening and we'll see you next week. Have a great day and a great weekend.
14: Street, corner Sunshine Square. Now we don't quarrel, now we're so glad. Glad that we're living where love is the fact. Where? On Happiness Street, corner Sunshine Square. They never heard the blue. Sunshine Square Where? To Happiness Street Corner Sunshine Square Their street corner, Sunshine Square. They never heard of blues, they never heard of fears. they never heard of wars, they never heard of tears. That's the reason folks are happy.